Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of Colossians, the New Testament book of Colossians, and Colossians in chapter number one. We're starting a brand new series today of walking through this small New Testament book, this book of Colossians. And yet when we start studying the book of Colossians in its context, it becomes a very powerful book dealing with practical wisdom. And we need wisdom and we're looking for wisdom. The book of Colossians is just a fascinating, encouraging book. When it sees what Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is attempting to do to encourage and help this small little church of Colossae. So if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and look with me, if you don't mind, to the book of Colossians in chapter number one. Colossians chapter one, and notice with me in verse number one. Colossians chapter one and verse number one. Notice it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in verse number two? Colossians chapter one and verse two, we're going to break up two statements there. Notice it starts off to the saints, <laughs> excuse me, at Colossae, to the saints at Colossae. And with this, we're going to introduce this book and explain a little bit about the backstory leading into this wonderful book of Colossians. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you today, Lord, I just running to the cross as quickly as I can. I need you, Lord. I need you to be with my health, my mind, my throat. <clears throat> Lord, I'm asking that you just give me a clarity now to be able to follow you and your leading, what you would have us to do. Lord, I'm asking that you would just fill me with your spirit so the best I know how I surrender myself to you to be used as a vessel by you however you see fit. Help my mind to be focused upon you and you alone because you are the God that is worthy of all these things. Thank you for these dear folks that are here. And we're asking that you would encourage them through your precious word. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember that every book in the Bible has a purpose of why it was written. In the New Testament, we have what is called epistles. Epistles are personal letters that are written from an apostle to either a person or to a church. Just the word epistle just has the idea of a letter. And the apostle Paul is writing a letter, an epistle to the church that is found in Colossae. Now Colossae is a small little market town in Asia Minor. For those of you who are not familiar with that term, Asia Minor is a reference, a New Testament Bible reference to the country we would know today as 
Turkey. So Colossians was located in modern Turkey. And it was located about 100 miles east of Ephesus. Now Ephesus was a very big city and a very important city. And Colossians, Colossae, is about 100 miles to the east of Ephesus. It was situated on the south bank of the Wolf River. Now to the south stood Mount Cadmus. The sister cities or the cities that were right next to Colossae is Laodicea and Heriopolis. They were all in the same valley, each about a day's journey from Colossae. So what would happen is that the letters that would go to Colossae, they would take those letters from the Apostle Paul and they would send it to Laodicea and then they would send it to Heriopolis so that way they could also get the encouragement that the Apostle Paul would send to them. Now by the time of the Apostles, this town of Colossians, Colossae, was a town that wasn't very important. It was a backwater town. It was a town that had already reached its peak and now was kind of on the downhill slink. You can imagine it's a town where people are trying to get out of it. The kids are saying, well, I can't stand being in this town anymore. I want to go somewhere else. So it's a town that's already dying. It doesn't have a lot of importance. It's not affecting the world quite often. The whole area bore the scars of past volcanic activity. In fact, within several years of this book being written, the book of Colossians to the church at Colossae, this whole town was destroyed and wiped out by an earthquake by the, uh, just a few letters, a uh, few years after the writing of this letter. And so the town of Colossians, Colossae is not very important to history, but yet we have a letter here that has stood the test of time that becomes a very important letter, applying it even to people like us. If you don't mind, let's kind of dive in a little bit more to what the Bible says and let's go with how the church was started. How the church was started. If you don't mind, turn with me. We're turning back to Colossians in a second, but let's go back to the book of Acts and kind of learn a little bit of how this church was started. The book of Acts chapter number 19. Now the apostle Paul is on his second missionary journey in Acts chapter 19. Um, third missionary journey, sorry. And he takes some time and he stops at the town of the city of Ephesus, also found in modern day Turkey, the Bible reference of Asia Minor or Asia. And as Paul is starting here, he's starting to see the work starting to ramp up just a little bit. Notice with me in the book of Acts chapter 19 and notice with me in verse number eight. Acts chapter 19 in verse eight. And he, this is Paul, went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. So Paul is inside of Ephesus and his manner of custom was, is that you work from the known to the unknown. So his first place to go was to the synagogue. Why to the synagogues? First of all, because the Hebrew people were there, the Jewish people were there, and the Jewish people had a working knowledge of the Old Testament. So he was able to build off of that. The second reason is that the synagogues would also have a copy of the Bible, the Old Testament scriptures for Paul to work off of. And so his 
way of doing things is he would always go to the synagogue. He was there for three months. He would show up, he would teach, and he would preach. And during that time, he would be disputing. People would say, no, 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 no. I can't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And he would say, open your Bibles and let me show you. He would dispute with them. Then he would persuade them. Listen, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He's the one that you've been waiting for this whole time. And as normal, there were some people that were convinced and some people that were not convinced. The people who were not convinced hated Paul and they would often stir up problems. Notice what happened in verse 9. But when the diverse were hardened. So that means when Paul is talking to them about the things of the Bible, they become hardened to the truth. Why do you get hardened? You get hardened for rejecting or saying no to Christ. Your heart begins to harden more and more and more. Finally, after three months, they got hard enough that they said, we don't want to listen to this anymore. Why is he here? And they kicked him out. Verse number nine. But when the diverse were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that word. Way. Notice again that phrase for those of you who may not be familiar. Notice that phrase, the way. The idea of the way, this is how the Christians were referred to back in that first century church because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so you would often see that a lot in the book of Acts where it would talk about the followers of the way or those who did the way. This is that phrase that spoke evil of that way before the multitude. And he, Paul, departed from them and separated the disciples. So those people who got saved and he began to start teaching during that three months period and separated the disciples disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. So what happened is that Paul went and started at the synagogue. As he started in the synagogue, he would take the Old Testament scriptures and begin to try to reason with them that Jesus Christ was the Messiah that had been prophesied in the Old Testament. Now remember that at this time there is no New Testament scriptures to refer to. You just had Jesus Christ who had died on the cross and you had people telling the tales. Paul is using the Old Testament scriptures to prove that Christ is indeed whom he claimed to be. And so as he would show them, there were people that got saved and people who wanted to know more. And unfortunately, there were some people who did not get saved and they didn't want to know more. So after three months, Paul realized he needed to go somewhere other than the synagogue. They were done with him. So he went and rented out a schoolhouse, a school of one Tyrannus. And there at the school of one Tyrannus, Paul began to teach daily. He began to teach every day in what we would call a Bible institute or a Bible college. He began to train men and women for the ministry. Notice what happens in verse number 10. And this continued by the space of two years. So Paul continued daily teaching at this one school for two years so that all they that dwelt in Asia. Now remember this word Asia is that same equivalent of modern day Turkey. So that whole region of Turkey. In the space of two years, all they that dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. Both Jews and Greeks. Now think about this. Paul never left Ephesus. For two years, he's teaching in one school. If he's teaching in one school, how does all of Asia Minor hear? Now, let's just reference things. Asia Minor is equivalent to about the size of Wisconsin. So think about one person teaching from one place. And from him teaching this one place, 
everyone in the state of Wisconsin heard the gospel. How does that happen? Well, let me explain how that happens. What happens is that as Paul began to teach people the Bible, the people who learned the Bible would go out and they would go and teach others. And they would multiply the effort through the miracle of multiplication. Let me give an, a, a numerical example. Let's say that from here, we begin to disciple someone. What is discipleship? Discipleship is developing the habit of obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if I take one person and I take another person, I teach them for a year, year and a half. And then the next year, those two people take two people and they teach them. The next year, those four take four. That next year, those eight takes eight. That next year, those 16 take 16. That next year, 32 takes 32. That next year, 64 takes 64. Now, after about eight years time, if you have 64 people who are able to teach the Bible, do you have a strong church? Yes. Absolutely. It's the miracle of multiplication. Do you know just numerically, if we just did this method of discipleship as the Bible says it, and we teach it and we're faithful to it, numerically, the entire world can hear the gospel in less than 30 years. Why isn't it done? Because we're not being obedient to the Bible. We've lost something here. But the Apostle Paul is taking and teaching daily at the school of one Tyrannus. And what happens is that some people got saved. And as they got saved, they say, Paul, teach us. And Paul taught them for a space of time. And these people went to the city of Colossae, which is 100 miles to the east, and they started a church. And when they were there at Colossae, this small little backwater town that didn't seem very important, that looked like it was dying, they began to teach the gospel. And not only teach the gospel, they began to disciple and that little church began to blossom inside of this region. Amazing. Why? Just because some person decided he was going to follow the Bible or develop the Bible way of discipling and that teach people. And as he does that, there was another crowd who got saved and they said, we live in Lady Osea. We're going to go take this information and we're going to go start a church in Lady Osea. There was another crowd that went and start, said, we're from Hariopolis. Let's go and take this information and go start a church in Hariopolis. You see the miracle of multiplication going out in the space of two years. In a place the size of Wisconsin, every person heard the gospel, whether they were Jewish or whether they were Greeks. Now, it doesn't say they all got saved, but it does say that everyone was able to hear. Wouldn't it be interesting if we ever took that seriously? That we took it seriously that we need to get to the place where everyone can hear the gospel and organize our efforts? In the 1990s, Coca-Cola determined that they were so important that they needed to make sure that everyone in the world had an opportunity to taste a Coca-Cola. <clears throat> and so they put a big campaign and they organized their efforts <coughs> Excuse me. And so by the end of the 1990s, they had claimed, rightfully so, that everyone in the world had the opportunity to taste Coca-Cola. They went to the out, outlying 
regions. They went to the hills. They went to the villages. They went everywhere they could. They went to where roads couldn't go. They went to places where they had to make their own roads, bringing with them the message of Coca-Cola to every tribe, to every people, to every tongue. Well, don't we have something a little bit better than Coca-Cola? Don't we have something that will last longer than a Coca-Cola? Well, you know, we have to go back and have a revolution back to the Bible and do things the Bible way and try to reach the world to make it so everyone has the opportunity to hear the gospel. Now, it's God's business to save, not ours. Our job is the messenger boy to present the gospel in a clear and understandable, reasonable way so everyone has the opportunity to accept Christ if they want it to. This is what's done. This is a fascinating study. Paul is in Ephesus. While he's in Ephesus, he is purposely teaching men and women, boys and girls, about how to follow after Christ. And they took it. They didn't just listen. They applied it and went back to their own towns. As far as we can tell historically, Paul never went to Colossae. He didn't start the church. And as far as we could tell, he never stepped foot in that church at all, ever. Here's a church that went and just obeyed and they didn't need the Apostle Paul. They just needed to obey the clear presentation of the gospel and the clear commands that God had given to us in the Great Commission. So how did this church start? It didn't start by the Apostle Paul. It started when some people took this information they learned from Paul and went and applied it in the small town that they were at and started just reaching people with the gospel and teaching them how to follow after the Lord. This is how the church was started. Well, if you don't mind, let's go back to Colossians and let's learn a little bit more. So not only how was the church started, but let's also see the person of Paul. The person of Paul. Notice if you don't mind as we look back. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timotheus, our brother. Now, this isn't a very important declarative statement that Paul is giving. Now, before he says anything else, he says name and rank and purpose. I am the apostle Paul, and I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. And by the way, I'm here by the will of God. I'm not doing this because I want to. I'm doing this because this is what God has given me to do. So Colossians chapter 1 and verse 1. And when Paul is writing, he's writing with the authority of an apostle. Now, this is going to become very important. Now, Paul was a latecomer to be an apostle. By the way, let me remind you that the qualifications of being an apostle were this. They had to be there for the baptism of John, meaning they had to go find John the Baptist and they had to be baptized by him. They had to learn during the time of the Lord Jesus Christ and they had to follow the, excuse me, had to see the risen Christ for themselves. Those are the three qualifications. May I pause? Do we have any apostles today that meet that qualification? No. no. So this is something that is past due. It was for this time and for this place as they were trans transitioning from the Old Testament law to the New Testament church. And it was this transitional period to help kind of explain and put together how to live as a Christian and how to operate as a church. Now, the Apostle Paul, by the way, was the same age as Jesus. If you never heard my message about how Paul and Jesus knew each other as teenagers, I encourage you to listen to that. But they knew each other as teenagers. 
That's interesting to think. Paul then was on the scene when John the Baptist was baptizing. Paul had heard everything that Jesus had said. He was very interested in what Jesus said. He rejected what Jesus said, but he heard what Jesus said. And the apostle Paul saw the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus, did he not? Absolutely. So he was a Paul, uh, an apostle out of time where the other disciples traveled with Jesus the entire time. The apostle Paul did not. He was an apostle. He got saved later on after his persecution of the church. But he still carried that rank of an apostle. And this is going to be very important for the church. Now they don't know it yet, but they're in danger. What is the danger that they're going to have? That what is happening right outside of their walls of the church in the city of Colossae's, a cult is beginning to form. And this is going to be a very dangerous cult. This cult, <coughs> excuse me, this cult is going to um, attempt to twist the word of God and they are going to attempt to take away from the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. This cult was already starting to attract people with the promise of secret knowledge. And it's going to be referenced to over and over in the book of Colossians. But isn't that how cults work? We have knowledge that you don't have. We have something that's been hidden all these years and we've just now discovered it. You have to join us in order to have this secret knowledge that we have that you don't currently have. They promise this secret knowledge and people like that idea that I know something that other people don't know. They love those ideas of signs and wonders. They like the idea of trying to find something. So this cult, if it's left unchecked, is going to draw people away, including people who are part of this church of Colossae. This church of Colossae was going to need the authority of Paul as an apostle to help put things in order and set things as a protection to protect them from this false cult that was now coming. People don't realize what a danger they're in. God has set it up so every local church should have a pastor who shepherds over the flock. And part of being a member of a local church is that you have a protection of a shepherd to be able to say, you need to be careful. You don't realize how much danger you are in if you continue down this path. To be able to shepherd them back and to say, you know what? You may not realize it, but what you're listening to is false doctrine. It's going to hurt you. It's going to choke you. You need to be careful. That preacher over there that's on the internet, if you keep listening to him, it's going to change your thinking and you're going to think away from the Bible. That's what the apostle Paul is doing as an apostle here. He says, listen, you're a church that's growing and you want to grow. There's some danger out there that I need to warn you about. So you are not going to have your faith wrecked. So you don't end up chasing after something that's false and end up not following after Christ. And now people aren't being saved because you're not doing your job in the place that God's called you to be at. This is going to become very important. So we see the person of the apostle Paul who has the authority of an apostle behind him in order to help protect and instruct this church. So that way they don't get sucked up by the things of this cult. Notice, if you don't mind, a second thing. We see the saints and faithful brethren. Verse number two. He says, 
to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae. Let's learn a little bit more about this church and the saints that are in it. The church is meeting in the house of, a, of Philemon. Now, remember that back then they didn't have nice little church houses and property. People would usually meet in a church, someone's house if someone had a house big enough for a meeting. Now, remember that normally churches only ran about 20, 30, 40. They had two churches that were really big. You had the church of Jerusalem, which again was abnormal, but that's where Christ died. People were saved. People were added. That was an abnormal church. You had the church of Corinth, which was running about 120. And we saw how that kind of turned out, full of pride, full of other stuff. You had the church of Antioch that was running pretty strong. But other than those three churches, all the other churches in the area were running about 20, 30, or 40. They weren't running much at all. And so people would meet at someone's house. The church of Colossae, they were meeting at Philemon's house, who was a rich landowner who got saved, and he opened up his property to allow the people to meet faithfully there. Who else is there? The pastor is Epaphras. Epaphras, at the time of the writing of Colossians, is at Rome with Paul. Remember that when Paul is writing to the church of Colossae, Paul is currently in prison. He's under house arrest. In fact, he's so much under house arrest that at all times he is chained to a Roman soldier at all times. Can you imagine being chained to someone 24-7? No matter where you go, you're with them. Now that soldier didn't realize it, but Paul's witnessing to him. Hey, since we're here together and you can't go anywhere, have you heard about Jesus Christ? Let me tell you all about him. He won many of his uh, uh, captors, soldiers to the Lord, his guards to the Lord. But Paul is currently in prison at Rome. Epaphras, who is the pastor, has already started to see this cult starting to form up. And Epaphras realizes, you know what? I need some help on this. This, this is a little bit more than me. So I'm going to go to the person who taught me, Paul, And I'm going to ask for help. What do I do about this cult that's forming up? I don't know how to protect my people. I don't know how to shepherd them during this time. Paul, can you help me out? And so he goes over there and explains to Paul what is going on, which is going to prompt the writing of this. Now, while the pastor is gone, Epaphras, Philemon's son, Archippus, is now filling in in that office of the pastor right now. So Philemon has a son by the name of Archippus. Archippus is filling in that idea of pastoring while he's gone, why Epaphras is currently in Rome. Now, because of Paul's influence in the church, even though Paul had never been there, Paul is sure to be mentioned there. After all, you would have on the wall, you know, deal with me in my divine imagination, up in the office of the pastor, he says, I went to the uh, Bible Institute in Ephesus. I was ordained to the ministry by the Apostle Paul. And so Paul was mentioned quite often because that's where he graduated from. That's where he got his education from. People would think of Paul uh, very fondly. For example, many of you know that I was greatly influenced by Pastor Sexton, Clarence Sexton. Is Clarence Sexton mentioned fairly often here? Uh, He is. Even though he has never been here before, he has a little bit of an influence here. Correct? That would be the same thing with Paul. So now Paul has a little bit of influence there. He's also an apostle. He's writing this letter and he's going to instruct and encourage the church to protect them from the dangers that are sure to come. Also included in the 
church of Colossae is a returning home, Onesimus. Now we'll learn more about Onesimus on next Sunday morning as we go to the book of Philemon. But Onesimus is a runaway slave. His master was Philemon and Onesimus ran away. He said, I'm tired of this. I'm leaving. And he took off and he figured that I could go to the place where no one will find me. The busiest city in the world. I'm going to go to Rome. So he goes to Rome to hide out. And it just so happens while he's in Rome. Hey, I heard about this Paul guy. Paul's here. Man, Philemon talked about Paul all the time. I guess I go talk to him. So Onesimus sought Paul out. You know how dangerous that is to be a runaway slave to go find Apostle Paul, who's currently chained up to a soldier. But you know, he got to somewhere in his life where he said, listen, I need something. And so he went and found Paul. Paul led him to the Lord. And then he says, Onesimus, you need to go back home and make things right. And so Onesimus is coming back carrying two letters. He is carrying three letters, most people believe. He's carrying the epistle of Philemon, the epistle of Colossae and the epistle of Ephesus. And he's bringing them back to make things right. So now Onesimus is now back in the church of Colossae. And Paul's writing this letter here to help uh, reconciliation uh, between Philemon and Onesimus, the, the epistle of Philemon. And also to deliver this letter to the church of Colossae to say, let's prepare you for the fight that's fixing to come to defend against this cult. Which now brings us to the last thing here, that in Christ at Colossae, notice with me in verse number two, to the saints and faithful brethren, notice the phrase, in Christ, which are at Colossae. You know that every believer has two addresses. Now, let's define our terms. What do I mean by believer? A believer is someone who's come to the place where he realized that he is a sinner. And because of his sin, he had offended a holy, righteous God. And that Jesus died to pay the price for them. And they personally accept Jesus Christ to be their savior. That's what's required to be a believer. If you've never personally accepted Christ as your savior and became as what the Bible says, born again, then you're not a believer. But a believer who's at Christ or <clears throat> a believer on earth has two places that they're in at the same time. You are in Christ. And then as we follow this at Colossae, we have two locations that were at the same time. They that were at Colossae had to live and interact with the world around them. There's no avoiding it. That God did not call us to be hermits, to live inside of caves and kind of hold out till Jesus comes. That we have to still live in this world and interact with it. And we have to be a part of it. We don't have to be like them, but we have to be a part of it. We still have to go to the grocery store. You still have to go pump gas. You still got to deal with people. Most people like to eat out, so you got to deal with the restaurant people. You've got to deal with people. If you have the telephone, you got a telephone bill you got to deal with. You got to deal with people. You can't ignore it. You can't be at the place where, listen, I am higher than this world. And so I'm just going to exist. No, you have to live here. You have to go to the grocery store. You have to eat. You have to survive here. But God wanted you to be in this world to win these people to the Lord. We still have to remember this. 
But at the same time, we are also in Christ. Meaning that our location is in him. I'm with him. That I have a spiritual realm that I'm also a part of. I get to interact and spend time with the Lord. Just talk to God. To be with him. I have both places that I'm at at the same time. Now, for the Christian life, we have to make sure that both of those are in harmony. There are some people who get so focused at being at Colossae that they ignore the spiritual realm. They don't pray. They don't talk to God. They, you know, barely hits on the radar. They can go weeks without even thinking about the name of Jesus. It's not, not there for them. They're just concentrated on the world that they have. But then you have some people who become so spiritual that they ignore the physical around them. I'm sorry, my job is just to read my Bible and I'm just going to hide out in my own little cave and I'm just going to have magically food sent to me every now and again and I don't have to see anybody ever again. I'm just going to think about spiritual things. You understand, it's good to think about spiritual things, but we have to live in the world. But we can't be so much in the world that we don't think about spiritual things. Both of those have to be true. When someone becomes in Christ, what happens is they they tend to be mystics. They begin to be impractical. And they begin to be remote. They begin to separate themselves from the world that we live in. They begin to concentrate more on the spiritual. All miracles, signs, wonders. They start looking for that type of world where it doesn't exist. And of course, the danger is those that are at Colossae that they forget that they're in Christ. They become worldly, materialistic, and have no time for the Lord. We have to live in harmony. We have to be able to be in Christ at Colossae. We could apply that here. That we have to be in Christ, but in Green Bay or wherever you happen to be at. We have to have both worlds true at the same time. We cannot ignore our relationship with the Lord. And we cannot ignore our responsibility of living in the world and being a productive member of it. Amen. We understand both of those are true. You understand that God has left us here because there's a world that's dying and going to hell. If God didn't want us to interact with the world that as soon as we accepted Christ, we'd just be out of here. And whereas that'd be better for us, man, I don't have to deal with this world. That'd be nice. Who would be left over to witness to someone? God has left us here to make an impact on this world. We still have to work with people. We still have to build a testimony. One of the most awful things that happened in the 50s and 60s is there became a great method of preaching or great emphasis on preaching on prophecy in last times. By the way, we're not against prophecy of end times and last things. Those are important. The Bible mentions it, puts it emphasis. But the emphasis they were placing started to tip over to the wrong side out of Uh, biblical ideas, they started saying Christ is going to come before your kids graduate. Christ is going to come before uh, you, this world falls apart even more. So you don't have to worry about it. So what happened is an application is that people begin to divorce themselves from the world. They begin to pull their Christian influence out of politics. 
They began to pull their Christian influence out of the schools. They began to pull their Christian influence out of the things, uh, their neighbors' lives and everything. And they began to hold up and just say, all right, we're waiting for Jesus to come. Forget the rest of the world. Let it burn. And what happened is that Jesus didn't come. And now they turned over the politics to the crazy people. They turned over the schools to people who had their own agendas. They turned over the workplace and turned over all of these things. And now Christians have very little influence in our world because they withdrew from the world because they became so spiritually minded that they were no earthly good. We have to have both of those things in place. We have to be able to be an influence in our world. We do have to be able to have someone represent us in the government we currently have. And represent our values and what we do. We have to have someone. By the way, if someone's going to represent our values, don't they have to be like us? Amen. <clears throat> Again, we see a mistake that occurred that now we're paying for. And we need to be careful because what happens is that this wave comes up again where it says, listen here, all you have to do is worry about spiritual things. Don't worry about shopping anymore. Don't worry about winning your neighbors to the Lord. You know, think about this. We live in a world now where neighbors don't even know each other. Do you know the neighbors around you by name? Do you know what their prayer requests are, what their needs are? I mean, that used to be a big deal back in the olden days. Back when I was young, it was still like that where the neighbors knew each other. So much so that if I got in trouble, all the neighbors were outside and said, oh boy, you wait till you get home. I mean, that may not be the best thing of it, but all the neighbors knew each other. They talked to each other. They watched over their properties, looked over and said, hey man, I know you were gone on vacation last week. I want to let you know that someone was in your backyard and I chased them off. Thank you. Hey man, I want to let you know that there was a, a leak in your pool while you were gone and we decided to plug it up for you. Thank you. Hey, I know you were gone. We decided to mow your lawn for you. Hey, you know, neighbors knew each other. They cared and watched over them. Now we've become such isolationists everywhere is that nobody knows each other. They don't know who's living next to them. They don't know what they're going through. They don't ask hey, how it can pray for you, how it can be an influence. We have no influence in the world around us because we're still having this withdrawal. We have to be in this world making an impact. How can we reach a world that we never touch? How can we make a difference in someone's life if they don't know that we care for them? Remember, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And we've become such hermits, such isolationists, that we have no impact at all. Now, we understand that we could go the opposite way and that we could just do nothing but talk about the Lord and shove it down people's throats. And now people don't want to do, have anything to do with us. We have to have both. We have to have the influence to be able to talk to our neighbors but it starts off with them knowing who we are in the first place. And they have to know that we care. We have to be, as it says here, in Christ at Colossae. We have to make sure that we're not so focused on this world that we don't even think about Christ anymore. That we don't read our Bibles. That we just don't have any relationship with God. By the way, that is true too. 
Do you know that most people don't read their Bibles at all? And a survey of Christians, most Christians, I think it was 75%, I think that number's accurate. 75% of Christians have never read their Bible through once. Well, if we're not spending time in the spiritual realm with Christ, how are we going to make an impact? People don't know their Bibles. By the way, that's how cults get involved. If people don't know their Bibles, people can be deceived about what they think is spiritual things. That's what Paul is going to warn about all throughout the book of Colossae is that you have to have some things nailed down in your life and in your Christian life so that way you are not pulled astray, so you're not pulled away and the cults can't deceive you. We need to have some idea what the Bible has to say. You need to have some understanding of what, what the books of the Bible are, why they're written, why they're put together. For example, the book of Galatians is written for the purpose that some people started to go to the church of Galatians and started teaching them that they could lose their salvation. That listen, you were saved by accepting Christ, but after that, if you decide you're going to sin, guess what? You lost your salvation. That's horrible. Paul got so upset, it's his most emotional book. Oh, ye foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? He's mad and upset. Who taught you this? And why did you believe it? Of course, the cults use the book of Galatians, and they try to teach you that you lose your salvation by the book of Galatians. Well, if you know what the book of Galatians are, you know there's no way they can teach that. Does that make sense? This, we need to know what the Bible has to say. What is each book of the Bible for? What is its purpose? Why is it there? What's going on in the book of Ephesians? In the book of Ephesians, you have the um, Jewish people sitting on one side of the church. And you have the Gentiles sitting on the other side of the church. The Jewish people believe that they are God's people. And that the Gentiles are nothing more than dogs. And so though, even though those people are saved... They're saved dogs. They're not as good as us. And we're kind of confused why they're even here in the first place. And the Gentiles are going, what's wrong with them? Why are they looking their noses at them? So there's a schism in the church. The book of Ephesians is written for the purpose of having unity. Of putting it together. Well, isn't that an important book? By the way, how do we have unity in the church? When everyone's looking at the same goal, Jesus Christ. If everyone's looking at Christ going the same direction, the same pace, we're going to be in unity. How can two walk together lest they be agreed? You take something like the book of 1st and 2nd Corinthians. The book of 1st and 2nd Corinthians, you have a very wealthy church who's full of pride. We know everything. We don't need Paul anymore. We've got things handled. So much so that they started having four groups in the church. You had, I'm a Paul group. This is how we've always done it. Then you had, I'm the uh, Paulist group. Well, this is how my favorite preachers says to do it. I'm of Cephas. Oh yeah? Well, this is not how they do it in, in Jerusalem. This is not the, how they did it back in those days. We need to do it like this. Then you have the super spiritual crowd who's worse than them all. I'm of Christ. That has the idea that we're right and you're wrong. And they had problems. The book of 1st and 2nd Corinthians is written for the idea to say, hey, no, you're wrong. Let's fix some things so that we don't depend on your pride. You have to trust God by faith. Knowing the purpose of these books become very important. The book of James. The book of James is the first book of the New Testament that was written. And it's written by the 
pastor of the church of Jerusalem who's watching these Jewish people get saved. The Jewish people have been taught all their life in order to be right with God. I have to do this and do this and do this and do this and do this. But now that I got saved, I don't have to do those things. I'm going to heaven. So now that I'm going to heaven, I don't have to do anything. And James is like, whoa, 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 no, no, no. We don't work because we're, or in order to be saved, we work because we're saved. I'm, don't, I'm not the pastor of this church in order to earn favor with God. I'm the pastor of church because of what Christ has done for me. I serve God out of a thankful heart, not in order to try to earn favor with him. You understand, knowing each one of these books helps us out and protects us. And if we know what they say, then we can't be deceived by someone lying to us and trying to take and give us a different Jesus. So the book of Colossians is going to be a very important book. The Apostle Paul, all the way through here, is going to state some things they need to know. And if they have these things nailed down inside of their Christian life, the cults cannot deceive them. The liars cannot fool them. That they cannot be bent or brought asway with every wind of doctrine. But they're going to be nailed down, established, and settled. That's what God wants for us. He doesn't want Christians to be blown around saying, I don't know what I believe or why I believe it. I just, that sounds good. Oh, that sounds good. Oh, today this sounds good. He wants us to be nailed down. He wants us to know what we believe and why we believe it. And so as we go into the book of Colossians, I'm letting you know ahead of time, it's going to be a big doctrinal book for the purpose of nailing some things down in your Christian life so people cannot lie to you nor deceive you about who God is, about who Christ is, or what God's plan is. Let's be established and settled in our own life. So that brings a question to you. How much of the Bible do you know? Not how much do you think you know. Not like the people of Colossians. I don't need to know any more Bible. No, I'm asking you seriously. Do you know? Can you even say the 66 books of the Bible? Let's start there. Can you name all 66 books of the Bible? Well, if not, then maybe you're missing some things. Do you know the sections of the Bible? What do you mean the sections? Well, you have two major sections. You have, <coughs> excuse me, the Old Testament and the New Testament. But each of those are broken up. We start off with five books of the law. Followed by 12 books of history. Five books of poetry. Five books of major prophets. Followed by 12 minor prophets. Five, 12, five, five, 12. New Testament we have the gospel records and acts, which makes a historical section. Then we have the Christian church epistles, epistles written to Gentile churches. Then we have the personal epistles, which includes pastoral epistles. Then after that, we have the Hebrew Christian church epistles, epistles written to churches with enough Hebrew people that they have enough references to the promises of the Old Testament to apply to them. Well, those are important to know, to know what section of the Bible that you're in. You understand that these things are basics that every Christian ought to know so that way people cannot lie or deceive you. It is amazing to watch how many times Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons steal someone from a Baptist church. How can they do that? Because the person in a Baptist church has not been settled in their Bible. And they could be lied to and deceived. 
So how much do you know about your Bible? Maybe a decision you need to make is, Lord, I need to learn more about my Bible. If you show me what I need to do, I'll do it. Show me the next step so I can learn my Bible more. Maybe your next step is to read your Bible. Maybe your next step is to take something like an evening school of the Bible, which starts in September. Maybe there's a discipleship you need to do to develop the habit of obedience to Christ. All of these things are going to be vital, important things to help us so we can't be lied to nor deceived about the Bible or who Christ is. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.